Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 21 of A Little Bit Famous with Ted Murata. Okay, this is a really special episode. And having just recorded it today, I am going to tell you the honest to God truth that this is one for the for the, just the history books as one of the greatest episodes that I've done so far. My guest this week is Ashley Sophia. She's absolutely amazing. And for the careful listener, you might know that a few months back, there was an episode that aired featuring Ashley Sophia, and then suddenly it disappeared. So only a few listeners may have heard the episode before it was gone. And uh, we talk a little bit about it at the very front of the episode about there were reasons why we, we decided, Ashley and I kind of mutually agreed that we should pull the episode and then we would do another one later. Um, you know, it was a little too hot to handle in some cases. And, uh, um, you know, so we just decided, oh, maybe we should take this down. So, but a few people might have heard it. Anyway, so this is us reconvening, Ashley and me, uh, to do a proper episode. And man, is it good. I mean, I don't normally sort of hype an episode before it plays. Uh, but I have to tell you, this is a really awesome episode. She's so great. And we get really, really deep into some amazing things, including music and creativity and, and, and writing lyrics and how songs come to you and all that stuff. And uh, so I'm going to open the episode with a song from Ashley Sophia. It's called That Girl is a Rainbow. She's just incredible. You'll hear the song, you'll fall in love with her immediately, and then you'll listen to this episode. And I hope you agree with me that this is one of the best ones yet. So here it is, episode 21 with the brilliant singer-songwriter, Ashley Sophia. That girl is a rainbow. And my boy is colorblind. He takes her to the parties. She walks and talks so fine. And everybody sees her. But he's got other things on his mind. That girl is a rainbow. And that boy is colorblind. But one day. Sounds stupid. So maybe you I'll say that. Don't sound stupid. It sounded good to me. All right, I'll, I'll I'll do that again. Okay. My guest today is Ashley Sophia. She's a singer songwriter based in Nashville, and uh, she appeared on the show briefly uh, for an episode that has come to be the sort of infamous lost episode. Uh, some beans were spilled during that episode, and we decided that we would uh, take it down and, and and take another stab. So here we go. This is the next episode with the great Ashley Sophia. Welcome to the show again. It's good to see you. It's good to see you too, Ted. Thanks so much for having me back. Um, I'm, I'm excited to have you. Um, what, how are you? What's, what's going on in your life right now? I'm good. Yeah? Um, I had a great October. October is, it happens to be the month I was born and it is also the month where 
everything turns into beautiful earth tones and the air gets chilly and um, it's just such a fun time. I yeah. feel like I had a, a great October and so I'm just coming in super happy and excited to be chatting with you. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I had a really good October too. Um, my band was playing um, and uh, we got to play a lot this summer and um, did a handful of shows in October and we're done now for the foreseeable future. I know we have a few sh shows lined up in December and in the meantime, we're working on a new album. So, awesome. and uh, yeah, so I can just sort of snuggle up at home here, work on the podcast, work on this new album. Um, and as I, I mentioned in, in, pre-roll there the the snow has actually begun to fall here so and and my thing i have to say i mean well being in nashville how often does it snow there you know it doesn't snow too much uh and when it does honestly the city just shuts down it doesn't have the <laughs> capabilities to handle it you know we get a couple inches and i kid you not like work cancels highways shut down all restaurants close except for maybe two and um, it can be pretty dangerous even. I mean, I remember a few years ago, there was a little bit of a um, ice storm and I saw like six car accidents in an hour. Um, yeah. People just, they don't have snow tires here. We don't have salt for the roads. There's no, there's not enough plows. So it's uh, a little bit comical as someone who yields from the Northeast, but yeah. You know, I also, now that I've lived here for six or seven years, um, I've grown used to just how different it is. Totally yeah. different climate. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you grew up in the uh, the Adirondacks of, of New York State. And I'm, I, I live in the sort of cosmic sense. I live in the foothills of the Adirondacks. And um, it's a beautiful place. And I have to say that you know, I've, I, you know, having had the opportunity to travel the country quite a bit, I think the Adirondacks hold up as, as, uh, you know, pretty damn beautiful mountain range among the many beautiful mountain ranges in this country, including the Sierra Nevadas and the Rockies and the green mountains and all that stuff. They're, they're so beautiful. They really are stunning. And, um, my dad was in the merchant Marines and traveled the world in his twenties and, um, he came back to the, my hometown where we both grew up and he, while he was shipping around the world, he just couldn't stop thinking about those mountains and he couldn't stop thinking about how that was home and it was the most beautiful place on earth after seeing all the far corners and doing all that there is to do. He knew that that was home. Yeah, there's something about that. There's some, you know, the, the home thing. I mean, I've lived in the Northeast my whole life. There's a million places that I think I'd like to live. Uh, but I, I, I do feel a certain uh, visceral attachment to, to this part of the world. And, yeah, uh, I think there's something to be said about the four seasons, too. I think yes. the seasons are really important to feel those cyclic changes almost reset you and remind you of how temporal life is. And I don't know, it's just, it's different when you, when you move away from the seasons or you shift those four seasons, you feel a little bit off. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And that actually reminds me of, uh, you know, time as relativity, you know, because when I was really, this just happened. October was like the blink of an eye for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, really, I, I was stunned, you know, I was like, wait, what? 
tomorrow's Halloween. You know, it's November 1st. Oh, my God. Um, I I really feel like it's very true. I mean, our perceptions of time change. And, you know, when I was a kid, it it didn't feel like that to me. Yeah. Especially, you know, especially when I was a kid and I, it was early October and Christmas was a few months <laughs> so away. So far away. <laughs> yeah, it felt like it was going to take for, forever to get there. But but now I'm like, holy crap, Christmas is like right around the corner. I need to start shopping and all that kind of stuff. I, I feel, yeah, I, I feel, I mean, I don't know what it is. I mean, I guess it just makes sense, you know, as you age that 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 your perception of time accelerates, you know. Yeah, um, sure. But uh, anyway, and oh, and then the other thing I, you mentioned that your dad was in the Merchant Marines, and I'm not going to drill down into that. But I just want to say really quickly that every time I hear that phrase, Merchant Marines, mm-hmm. I'm I feel so like, ah, oh, that just sounds so cool. Although I have no idea what it is, and I've never <laughs> taken the time to actually look up what it means to be in the Merchant Marines. But immediately, I think. Oh, you know, you're all of a sudden you're in Polynesia and you're in, you know, you're in these uh, exotic places all around the world. And um, but I really have no idea what. What being in the Merchant Marines is, you know, I don't even I probably couldn't tell you any more details other than sometimes you're in Polynesia and then you were, you know, he's I know he sailed through the Bermuda Triangle. He used to navigate. He was in charge of. Um, directing the ship using a sextant and using navigating by the stars. So it was before GPSs and he was on a ship um, that actually it was a couple football fields long, a really, really big ship out on the ocean. And um, when I was very young, I would sit at the kitchen table with him and he would tell me these stories about, you know, sailing the world and all of the experiences he had out on the water and seeing the, um, you know, phosphorescence at night or the dolphins or the squids, um, sailing by the stars, typhoons, the Bermuda Triangle, being in different ports all over the world, the Strait of Gibraltar, um, the characters he met, you know, because you have everyone from the captain to the seamen who work and just, um, you know, mop the decks. And yeah. there's a, a wide variety of, of life happening on these ships. And I think uh, his stories were what really inspired me to want to live uh, my own adventure and, and write. And he, he brought his guitar around the world with him. And um, that was the guitar he gave to me. Yeah. Oh man, this this brings this brings so much. First of all, this is one of the reasons why I absolutely love talking with you because I was just like every time I hear about the Merchant Marines, I just think, "Gee whiz, that sounds really cool." And then you and then you proceeded to to absolutely beautifully uh, describe it in a, in this sort of wonderful way that I could really picture. And um, you know that that is a talent that you have, um, whether it's innate or or something that you've developed over time. But you have a. Beautiful- it was learned. I think. Yeah. I think it was learned. It was actually learned at the kitchen table with him. I mean, he had the most. He still has the most incredible stories I've ever heard. Honestly, the person you want to interview is my dad. <laughs> I was going to ask you, and this is one of those questions when people bring up their parents during the podcast. 
I mean, I'm inclined to ask out of curiosity, are, are your folks still alive? And yes, I'm like afraid yes. to ask because I feel like, oh, maybe. I know. But um, so, okay. So your dad is still with you. Yes. Okay. And okay, great. So, and you, so you, you would say that that was something that sort of eloquence, that was something that you, 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 you learned from, from your dad, from the stories that he told. Yeah, I, I think I learned it from, from both my parents in different ways. Um, my dad, my dad was a storyteller for sure. He, um, he just had, he lived the most incredible life. I think, you know, he just did a lot of really unique things and, um, I'll never forget one adventure. He told me he, he was hit by a typhoon off of, um, the coast of Taiwan in the 1970s. And, um, he was navigating during this enormous storm and you're not allowed to dock the ship during the storm because the ships are so big. The ships that he was on were so large that they would rip up all the docks and all the pilings. So they had to go out at sea, Mm -hmm. which I think is a really great metaphor for life. You know, sometimes when the storm's coming, you, you want to take Harbor, (laughs) you want to go inside, get a hotel room And sometimes you can't, sometimes you've got to go out and you've got to face the storm. And so he was in charge of navigating during the bad weather, um, measuring the waves, measuring the knots of the wind, measuring the weather, trying to figure out which way to steer the ship so that they don't sink. And, um, he still has the weather reports from that. And there were 250 foot rogue waves um, swallowing the ship. I mean, the ship at some point was completely underwater. Uh, Seawater got into their stacks and put the engine out. Um, They were using acoustic phones. And I mean, every time he tells that story, I feel like my heart's going to stop. And um, mine too, as I'm listening to it and probably listeners listening right now. Yeah. And, you know, he said it never occurred to him that he might die until the captain came up. Um, They had these long decks where people would actually have to hook carabiners onto the side of the deck and run between the waves because otherwise the waves were so powerful, they would wash into the ocean. Yeah. And so the captain finally came up and he looked at my dad and he said, do you think we're going to make it? And my dad said that was the first time he actually considered they weren't, they weren't going to come home. Uh. Um, so it was not long after that, he returned to his beautiful home in the Adirondack mountains and changed his profession and, uh, you know, met my mom and had me and started telling his stories and that, wow. um, you know, just listening to those stories made me feel like, I don't know. Like, um, I wanted stories to tell. I wanted to travel and meet people and do wild things. And the very strange thing, um, about that was when I was a child and I heard that story about that typhoon, I wasn't thinking about, um, you know, how I was thinking about how scary it was, but I was not thinking about how I wanted to avoid that. Rather, the gut instinct that I had, um, and I can't explain this, I don't understand it, but it was like I wanted a typhoon of my own. Mm. Um, 
I wanted, I wanted sailor yarns. I wanted, you know, to go out at the end of my life with some stories to tell. And I knew that from listening to my dad. Yeah, that's amazing. And I mean, God, there's so much to get to. And I have, I have an uncle that I have a similar relationship with because he, he traveled the world extensively. He served in Vietnam and and spent many years traveling and ever since has spent many years traveling the world. And not only has he told me some unbelievable stories like that, that, that honestly changed my life that informed me kind of philosophically and, and gave me the, the, not just the desire, but the courage to, to choose a life, an unusual life, you know, a life in music and creativity um, for, for much the same reason. I mean, not only for the moment itself, you know, and each and every moment itself, good, bad, or indifferent of, of, of the life of a creative person, but to, to feel that at the end of my life that I had, I had, you know, gotten the most the rich experience out of being here on planet earth as possible. Yes. That you had lived truly. Yes. Yes, Yes. exactly. You know, there's a, there's an old saying, um, you know, your life is what you do between the dashes. Yes. I love Uh, that. Right. Yeah. Or, or, or what you do during the dash or something like that, you know, so on your, on your gravestone, it'll say born 1942 died. 1980 whatever and the dash in the middle is your life and what do you do with the dash and uh, that always resonated with me i agree it's amazing because it's it's the tiniest marker on the gravestone yes. and yet it's full with of the most potential it can oh be filled God. with anything it could be filled with everything it could be filled with nothing yes and you know really Really, I think what determines what's in it is, uh, you know, the amount of courage you have to just keep going, keep trying, keep failing, keep going right into the typhoon. Yeah. Ah, that's amazing. And what you just said, I had never really thought of it that way before, but when you said it's the smallest marker on the, you know, you know, it's the smallest indicator or symbol on on a gravestone, uh, but packed with so much meaning um ah that's profound stuff we're getting i mean we're (laughs) we're 10 minutes in and we're already like we are in the depths of like the most profound (laughs) thoughts about human existence um i love it yeah oh god yeah i know um Real quick though, because I can't let it go in my mind. When when yeah. you said about the 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 uh, captain coming and saying to your dad, yeah. you know, do you think we're gonna make it? I got goose. I got chills when yeah. you said that, and it made me think about a song, which it's an older song, so you know, young people might not be as familiar with it. But it's called "The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald." Um, and, uh, the, the, well, there's a lyric, it's, it's about a ship called the Edmund Fitzgerald that went down in a storm. And, and one of the lines is essentially the, the, the first line is, you know, uh, you know, uh, the water was coming in the, you know, the, the, the ocean was rough. The chef said, it's, uh, it's too rough to feed you. Mm. And then it says at 7 PM, the main hatchway gave in and the chef mm. said, fellas, it's been good to know you. Mm. Yeah, I mean, ugh, I just got makes me emotional. Like, yeah, and and I mean, to me, that is like what is one of the most powerful things about music, and particularly lyrics. Yes, 
Yes. The stories. Yes. Yes. I mean, songs that make me cry, make yeah. me laugh, make me cry, make me upset, you know? Yes. Um, and I mean, that's something, you know, my experience with listening to your music, I get that from you uh, in, in a big way. And it's actually really interesting to have this conversation as, as in some ways, a, a sort of, uh, you know, like a, a prologue to that experience that you had when you started mm -hmm. to, developing, to develop as a songwriter on your own. Yeah. I just think that's really amazing, you well, know? Thank you. Thanks for saying that. I. I can't, I can't emphasize enough how much all of that shaped me. And I think, I don't know, you know, hearing about him having to strap himself in his bed at night because the oceans were so rough, hearing about, you know, his guitar not making it home in one piece. Um, that Martin guitar that I have, it's a 018-1946. Um, it's in, it's, it's in pretty bad shape because it's in smithereens. It was glued together oh back by Martin from just from all those travels. It didn't, it didn't come back to the States um, together. And I think, I mean, it's, it's my most prized possession. If my house was on fire, it's the thing I would grab first. Yeah. And when you think about that, when you think about, life and what you're here to do and the fact that you're going to die and your house being on fire and what you're going to grab and you realize it's this old busted guitar it's kind of like man like when you get out of here like go with crack teeth like get out mm -hmm. beat to hell <laughs> that's kind of how i feel <laughs> i love that i, I really do I mean, you know, there are some, I mean, ancient philosophers and yeah, I mean, you know, going back hundreds, if not thousands of years have, have mused about this and, and, and written and thought about this, you know, um, a life, an unexamined life is a life not worth living, yeah. you know, better to regret something you did than something you didn't do. I mean, there are so many kind of expressions of, of, of that, of, of that kind of, um, you know, just almost imploring people. To, to say, just look around at, at what you, what is here for you to experience yes and, and, and also have at least some awareness of your, the limited amount of time you have to experience it yes. and don't waste it. You know, I, I know most people don't think they're wasting it when they're wasting it. Myself included have moments uh, not necessarily moments, sometimes just stretches of weeks or months or something. If I get into a depression or there's something going on where I'm really not living at all. I mean, I'm, I'm surviving. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, but I'm not living, but usually what happens is my, some part of me, some part of my essence will say, you have to crawl out of this right now Yeah. because you're and wasting I, time. And I think you know, I think, I think my fiance says all the time that I love, and I have to, I have to credit him for this because I think it's so, such a beautiful, succinct way of saying it. He says, life is long. And I, and a lot of people say the opposite. A lot of people say life is short, but what I glean from that concept of life being long is if you are in a funk, 
if you are in an illness, if you are in a bad situation, if you are in a time in your life where things aren't working, don't worry. You can fix it. You can change. You can heal. You can recalibrate. You can grow. You can adapt. You can evolve. And I think for some reason, the idea of life being long is more reassuring. And it's not, unfortunately, it's not long for all of us. But, you know, how we spend our life is really how we spend our days. And some days are just shit. Some days are just hard. Some days we're, we are depressed. Some days it's hard to get out of bed. Some months are hard to get out of bed. And I think that's okay too. I don't think everything has to be, I don't know, some rollicking adventure every minute of your life. I don't, I don't think that's what adventure is meant to be. In fact, if it was, nothing would be an adventure, right? We only yeah. have the concept of adventure to compare it to something, you know, to the times in our life that are more quiet. So if you take, you know, this concept of like dark and light and yin and yang, mm-hmm. you need the downtime. You need the time you're alone, you're introverted, you're sad, you're you're going through something. And also the time where you're on the adventure and just appreciating the depths that you can go into in 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 each of those scenarios, appreciating the downtime um, for what it's giving you and the hard times for what it's giving you just as much as you are the adventure because honestly some of some of the most um, formative moments of my life were were not so fun to go through while they were happening. Oh absolutely yeah. But is I'm that something? It, yeah, I mean, is that something that you that you want to share about at all? I mean, some of those some of those experiences that you learned from. Yeah, um, you know, I I wanted my typhoon when I was little, and I ended up mm-hmm. getting a typhoon of my own uh, last March 2020. Um, I was hit by an EF3 tornado in the middle of the night. Oh my god! And um, I. I have no way, I have no way of explaining to you, Ted, how this happened, how I knew this. But that night before I went to bed, uh, the weather reports were fine. Nobody was saying anything about severe weather or tornadoes. Um, That night before I went to bed, I thought to myself, I just had this really strong feeling, you know, you need to download an emergency weather app that can wake you up in case of an emergency. And I remember thinking that is such a strange thought. I better do it. Mm-hmm. And I did it. And I woke up three hours later to it going off. And Holy cow. I woke up my fiance. I said, put on your sneakers. There's a tornado. We turned on the weather app. I filled up a water bottle. My hands were shaking so bad. It took me twice as long to fill up the water bottle. Um, because it was just sloshing everywhere, but I was filling up a water bottle. I was very sick at the time. And I kept thinking if I'm buried under rubble, I'll need water. Um, and, um, we turn on the weather app to listen to the storms and the broadcaster is saying there is a confirmed tornado it is extremely large and his voice is shaking. You can just hear it in his voice. And I've, I've listened to this broadcaster through every storm of the last 
six years, you know, in Nashville. And to hear him this scared, he just said, there is a tornado. If you are in Germantown, you need to run. And we lived in Germantown. Um, and I had had like <laughs> recurring dreams when I was little of tornadoes, you know, all the time. And my parents would always come for me and just say, you know, you live in upstate New York. You have nothing to worry about. This isn't going to happen to you. Yeah. And it, I don't know if I knew it was going to happen when I was little, but while I was running through the hallway, feeling the building bow, I could feel and hear the steel bending. I literally kept thinking, I knew it. I knew this was coming. That's all I could think the whole time was I, I knew this was coming. And um, glass started shattering. Air was moving. Air was moving like it was defying the laws of physics. I've never seen it move like this. It was suspended in the air at moments and then whipping like, like you could feel the, sand, the grit of the sand against your cheeks. And we got to the window and I looked out to my left and I saw just a giant gray snarl tearing up the sidewalk, tearing up bricks, pulling bricks right out of the building. I mean, I was face to face with that tornado. I could literally see it. And yeah, that was a, that was a crazy, crazy night. Um, after that, you know, thank God, Josh grew up in Western Kansas uh, and he knew and I didn't that a tornado can send a piece of straw through a telephone pole. They're just so powerful. Yeah. And thank God I didn't know that information at that time. You know, I was still sort of thinking like, are we going to make it through this? Um, you know, this, this might be how I go out. This might, this might be the end. And I was holding on to him really tight and he kind of backed us up against the wall to keep, you know, because we, we could see the tornado. We knew it wasn't safe to pass. Um, and then he came up with a game plan and he said, we've got to get to the garage stairs um, because there was a parking garage in the center of our apartment building and they, it was cement. So it would be like a fortress. Um, so the power went out and it was black and you could just hear the roar of this tornado barreling down on us. Um, the carpet felt like it was undulating. The building was moving and we ended up in the stairwell. And then um, there was a gas leak. You could smell the gas. And Boy. a lot of us were talking about it in there. And I turned to Josh and I said, do we need to worry about an explosion or about suffocating? And I really appreciated his honesty because he looked at me and he said, both. That's what we have to worry about now. And there were several more rounds of storms that night. We couldn't leave the stairwell until the front had moved through. Um, and it was, it was a long enough storm that we, I was able to pull up on my phone, the radar, and I could see that it was moving out around dawn. And I just kept thinking, if I can make it to sunrise, if we can like 
if we can just stay alive through sunrise, we're going to make it. We're going to get out of here. And uh, I remember the sun came up and the storm left and surveying the damage was just, it was so surreal because I had seen the tornado, but I wouldn't know the magnitude of it until I walked out the door, but it had disassembled the building next to us brick by brick. I mean, it took an entire wall out. It was, it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Nature is in charge. Yeah. I mean, it's, and that's, I mean, really, if you can, I mean, we know this, some people think that we can somehow conquer, (laughs) conquer nature, but you know, the, the typhoon uh, story that you told and the story of, 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 of surviving this tornado. I mean, that kind of shows, I want to know though, did you, did you write a song about it? Did you ever think about you did? Yeah. It's, it is mentioned on my new record, um, which is unrecorded, but I've written a new record. Um, it's mentioned and alluded to and in metaphors many, many, many times. It's a very large motif in my writing. Yeah. So how did that inform you? You said you or 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 influence you present day, because you did mention that you've been sure. through experiences like that and well, after the tornado in the middle of our move to a new apartment, uh, we both caught COVID and it was very serious. Um, and I spent most of last year unable to sing, unable to play, unable to get out of bed, unable to walk sick. And uh, it was, you know, in those hours that I think you sort of, you sort of, you sort of wonder before something happens, like you hear these terrible things happening to people and you wonder what you would do in those situations or how you'd survive it. Or you think, you know, I could never go through something like that. And then you do, you go through something like that and you realize like, Hey, I'm pretty tough. I can do a lot of things. I can do really hard things. And, um, I was, sort of amazed at my ability to, I don't know, just like the, the grit that I showed last year. Uh, I mean, not to brag, but like, I got through it. I got through some really hard shit and I wrote an album in that period and I wrote a book and, um, I took a really tough hand and I, I turned it into something that I'm proud of. All right. We have some things to talk about then. Um, <laughs> because I think since, since well, uh, first of all, I don't think you mentioned it when we spoke last time about writing a book. So that's, that's we can put that off to the side and we'll, we'll get to that. And so now you have a new album mm-hmm. that is written but yet to be recorded. Yes. Okay. All right. So just for listeners, okay. So can you can we back up a little bit? Um and because you have this really interesting story um about being in some ways uh not not seemingly destined to be a singer on a stage. You know, uh-huh. based on based on the, the things that I remember you talking with me about. And um it would be great if yeah. you could share about that a little bit like um, I mean, and and that story that you told about, um, you know, your dad giving you that that guitar and how yeah. important it was to you, that was right around the time that you were 
kind of beginning to to make public appearances as a singer, right? Where it wasn't that in sort of the same time frame. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had, I had no, no drive to be an artist or, well, I shouldn't say not to be an artist. I, um, you know, I think when I was younger, I just wanted to be a novelist or a writer or a painter. Um, but not a musical artist. I didn't want to be a pop star or a recording artist. That was, uh, really never the agenda. Um, I, I watched my dad tell these stories when I was very young and I listened, uh, to his every word and, um, you know, he played, he played guitar and he sang and he did a lot of 1970s folk rock, James Taylor, Neil Young, the Eagles, Crosby, Sills and Ash, um, that sort of thing. John Denver. Oh. And yeah. And I should say real quick that the song I mentioned, the wreck of the Edmonds Fitzgerald, um, that yes. has that line that's written by Gordon Lightfoot, who was right in that same, in the seventies yes. world of singer songwriters. Yes. Uh, he fit yeah. very closely in that brotherhood of storytelling and folk music. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, that was, that was the music I was raised on. I was raised on the music from my parents' generation and just so influenced by it. Um, Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And I, and I, I loved listening to him play. He's, um, he's a wonderful singer and player and he would just, we're talking about your guitar. dad, not, not Paul Simon. Not Paul Simon is also pretty good. He's decent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, Paul Simon's a genius, obviously. And uh, my, my dad's a wonderful singer-songwriter. Uh, or sorry, he doesn't write songs. Wonderful singer and guitar player. Um, just really enjoyed my time in childhood just sitting and listening to him sing and play and tell his stories. And he's a, he's a really good entertainer. Um and he's got, he's got a whole vibe about him. Uh, I call him the monk from the mountains, like the accidental Buddhist, because he's so, he's never studied Buddhism, but according to Buddhism, there is this uh, concept that some people are, some people, some very, very few people in this world are enlightened without studying. They have just like reached enlightenment on their own and that they don't, they don't need to study. Um, but for most people that it's, it's work. And I would say for, for me, I have to work constantly at trying to achieve, um, kindness and wisdom and, um, you know, being a good person and, and all the things that, you know, we all aspire to be, I think if, for my dad, it just comes absolutely second nature. He is, uh, he just says the right thing all the time. He does the right thing all the time. Um, and it, it sort of astonishes me, uh, to this day to know someone so well and to know that he's always going to surprise me with how he does the right thing. Um, just incredibly giving, always leaning on the side of, of being charitable or helpful or, doing extra for someone when he can. And so I call him the monk from the mountains. Um, anyway, uh, just watching him and being around him and listening to these songs and 
watching him play and seeing how how incredibly happy he was and how happy he made other people with music, with the, with the joy, the pure joy of music, right? Like, I don't know if there's any joy on earth quite like music. Um, I agree with you. And I think it felt like magic. It felt, it felt like the closest to magic I was ever going to get. And I wanted in. Um, and so when I was, 11 years old, I asked him to teach me how to play and he said no. And I was, I was just, I was floored. I was furious. And I said, what, why, why won't you teach me how to play? And he said, because you won't do it. You'll never do it. You can't do it. And I said, what are you talking about, dad? I can do this. And he said, no, guitar's too hard for you. He said, you'll, you know, you'll get bored with it. You won't put in the work. You won't get the calluses. It'll hurt your fingers and you'll be on to the next thing. And I was livid. I was so upset with him. But looking back, I know what he was doing and it was smart. It was, it was the challenge that I needed to prove him wrong and to get real good. And I did. I got good. Yeah. Um, not right away. I sounded like shit for a real long time, but because, you know, because he had told me it was something I couldn't do, um, it made me take it really seriously. It made me care about the craft and care about music and care about, uh, the work that it takes. Cause it takes, it takes work to get good at an instrument. It takes, um, you know, it takes being, on your own, insular, closing the door, uh, not being on the phone, not hanging out with your friends. And, um, you know, it's something that I did so young. I don't know if I'm naturally an introvert or if writing music and making art and learning guitar made me more introverted because maybe it requires that of you. I don't know. Um, but either way, those things shaped the rest of my life. And, uh, I, I loved it and I was too shy to play out. I didn't, I didn't want at all to play in front of people or be on stage, um, in any way, shape or form, even, even (laughs) singing on stage in a group of people was too much for me in high school. High school chorus or Yeah. Yeah. I was just way too shy. Um, I had no, just no drive, uh, no thought, no, I mean, in fact, it was a nightmare for me to consider like being on stage. Um, and when I went away to college, uh, my dad was helping me move some things into my dorm room. And at the end of moving everything in, he said, you know, there's one more thing. And uh, he carried in that Martin guitar that he had traveled the world with and he put it on my bed. Um, And that that moment um, was just something, just something I'll never forget. Yeah. It's it's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. It really is. and I love that. Um, and I hope to have mom- I, I hope to have a moment like that with my ch- my kids, you know, you um, where I hand something to them 
you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a musical instrument, but sure, something that shaped my life and is in many ways invaluable to me. And you don't I know it yet, but you you yours. may already have. You may yeah. have already done that. I, I actually have, I have thought about that, you know, um, and it, it could have been a moment for me of far less significance than it was for, for them. I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, I don't know, but, um, now I, but I want to ask you a couple quick questions. Um, when you were setting aside the high school band thing, yeah. uh, or high school chorus or whatever, when you say you were shy, uh, to, to, to appear in front of people and perform music. Mm-hmm. Did you, what, were you, I mean, just shy in the sort of standard fashion, a little, little introverted, a little embarrassed to be in front of people, or were you, did you lack confidence in what you were doing at that time? Or did you always <sighs> feel confident about your art, your music? That's a really good question. I don't think I had made my art yet. Uh, So there really wasn't anything to be confident in because I hadn't written a song yet. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say I was probably extremely shy, like the first two years of high school. I think I was really just figuring myself out, figuring out who I was. And then I think um, every year after that, I got a little bolder and you know, grew into myself a little bit more, started figuring things out. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember even, I think the first song I really wrote other than, you know, joke songs. Um, I was in, I was in college. So it happened, um, when I was 17 or 18. Okay. I was going to ask you, do you remember the first song you wrote? Um, do you remember the first do you remember that experience of words of music and words happening? Yes, and I and I actually do remember that? I do remember the song. Yeah. Yeah. Um when I went away to college, I think like many, if not every 18-year-old, 17-year-old goes through when they leave home, they just go through sudden drastic life changes where they're meeting new people and they're meeting themselves for the first time and losing parts of their old identity. And, um, you know, it's just a swirl of emotions, I think in that, in that period of your life. And it was sort of a very ripe and rich period for tapping into songwriting. And I think, I think I was just experiencing so many new things all at once. And, um, I found refuge with my guitar. It was, this place that I had been going to since I was very little. And um, all of a sudden words were coming and it didn't surprise me um, too much because I had appreciated songwriting for a really long time. Um, And I had always loved storytelling and I read and wrote poetry. Um, So it felt, it felt like a very natural thing when it happened and it happened very fast um i just want to say that's interesting to know that you wrote poetry as well um yeah i was did, did you write writing, as a yeah. child very very young i was writing okay. poetry yeah my mom um, has poetry for me when i was six seven eight years old that i was writing 
Okay. And did you write prose as well? Were you writing short stories? Because you had mentioned yes. you might want to be a novelist when you grew up. Um, yes, I was always writing. I was, yeah. um, I was always filling notebooks. There was a lot of, I've kept a diary as long as I can remember. I have, I have diaries that are illegible with backward E's and B's and D's mixed up all the way to now. I have filled hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of notebooks with um, some of them with essays and, um, you know, longer form things, others with um, scribbles, ideas. <laughs> some some of my entries um, are illegible because I was in college and I was drunk. Some of them are, you know, it just runs the whole gamut of things um, a person could write in a lifetime. I've somehow written it all. <laughs> You know, I mean, this is self-indulgent for me to share, but I used to do the same. I don't, I don't write a diary. I loved to write as a kid. I wrote all the time. I still love to write, but I don't do it very much anymore. But when you mentioned illegible writing. You strike writing, me as a writer. You do. Yeah, that was what I really, I mean, there were like two things I wanted to be. I wanted to be a movie director or I wanted to be like the next Stephen King or, you know, some great American novelist. Um, and yeah. I loved, I mean, I loved every aspect of creativity, whether it was drawing or writing or acting or you know that except for uh, singing that was not my thing but playing drums um but you know the illegible thing because you were drunk like i know and been downstairs i had moments where i was drunk and or on some other uh, mind or mood sure. altering substance and <laughs> i had at that moment what i thought was the most important thing to say of all time and yeah. i wrote it down and the next morning or the couple of days later, I would find this scrap of <laughs> paper and I would be like, what is this? What is I'm this gibberish? I know, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I wake up from dreams a lot, humming melodies or I'll have lyrics. Um, I'll have lyrics in my head. And I, I woke up very abruptly last year with a song in my head and I wrote it down on my phone and I, or I took a voice recording of it and I went back to bed and the next morning I was so excited to listen to it. I was sure it was, it was just like the most brilliant piece of inspiration that had ever hit me. And I listened to it and it was about spaying and neutering cats. I'm not kidding. What? I have no idea. I have no idea. It was so oh brilliant to me in the moment. That is, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's about what I would have found on my notebook after after looking after a night yeah. of, you know, debauched night of this or that. I, <laughs> sure. I, I, I mean, honestly, like, I, I mean, I can at least put myself in the space of thinking at the time that I yeah. wrote it down. It's brilliant. It's that the best I was thing like, anyone's ever written. I, yes. I People am, need to hear this. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would be thinking at the time, I would be like, it is an urgent matter. Yes. That I get a pen and a piece of paper right <laughs> now <laughs> because yes. like I am going to save the world with this. This is so important. <laughs> and then the next day or whatever, I would look at it and I would be like, this is inscrutable. I don't know. I don't even know. <laughs> I'm sure there are people out there of, of, you know, a certain age that can very much identify with what we're talking about. Yeah. And I then you know. hear about Paul McCartney writing, like, let it, you know, stumbling out of bed, writing, let it be. I haven't had that moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? That that brings me to, uh, I mean, because I was initially asking you about 
that first time that music and words came to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you mentioned that you come out of dreams sometimes with with words and music. Is yeah. there is there a is there a common way that you write, or does it come at you? Do you you know does you sit down and say I'm writing a song today, or are you doing like as you said nothing in particular, and a song comes to you, or how, mm-hmm. you know what is your creative process like when it comes to that? I think it happens in a lot of ways, actually. Um, sometimes it comes like lightning. Sometimes it comes like lightning, you know, on a sunny day and other times, um, it takes a lot of work and a lot of coaxing and a lot of, um, sitting down and and massaging something until it's right. And I would say, I would say the majority of the time, what I've found is that, uh, I have a feeling first. Um, it'll, it'll feel like, okay, there. I, I feel a song in the room. I feel, I feel like there's a song here and it won't necessarily even be a thought. It won't be like, I'm upset about this or, um, I'm thinking about this thing. Like I will just get sort of this electricity feeling like, okay, a song has come to visit me and I'll pick up my guitar and then I'll start sort of trying to tap into what I'm feeling. What are you feeling right now? What are you thinking about? Like, what do you need to work through? And I think I'll start strumming. Um, I'll start playing chords or notes until it feels like what I'm feeling, until it matches the feeling. And then the words come after that. And sometimes they come all at once. Sometimes I'll write a song and three and a half minutes, 10 minutes, half hour, it'll be fast. And then other times, you know, um, sometimes it'll be over the course of years. Um, And it's interesting because I don't, I haven't necessarily found that the more time means a better song. Um, in, In all the years that I've been songwriting, I I, I don't know if there's a formula. It still feels as elusive and magical and strange as it did the very first day uh, that it happened to me. I think it feels like it's coming from somewhere else. Um, I often feel like the song has been written before and I am I am a transmitter and I'm just playing it. Um, for instance, last, last year I wrote this song called Two White Roses. It is not recorded yet. I haven't released it. After I finished it, I told Josh, I said, I think an old Nashville ghost floated into the bedroom and wrote this. Uh, it sounds like an old Patsy Cline song or, Mm. you know, just, I don't know, but it's real and it's, I've never heard it before. It's not something I stole from the radio or, um, I don't know. I guess that's the only way to describe it. That is so fascinating to me. That is so amazing. Thanks. Uh, yeah. And, and, and again, just so beautifully put, I mean, you know, the idea that this idea of this old Nashville ghost, you know, just yeah. sort of transmitting this song to you. 
And that just, I mean, when you said it feels like it comes from somewhere else, mm-hmm. that, that is so, again, I'm just like, I'm, I, on some level, I mean, I can identify with it in a very small way in the way that I'm creative in terms of like when I'm on stage with a band and I'm playing, like yeah. I'm not consciously, I'm really not consciously saying like, I'm going to do this or that now. Uh, it it does feel like sort of something is just something is happening that's coming through me. It's It's making decisions. Yeah. That's sort of making decisions for me while I'm making, you know, while I'm accompanying a band and and things like that. So just in a very small way, I think I can try to identify with that. But, but this idea of having like, for example, like, have you ever had, a pretty much a, f- a fully fledged song, you know, just come to you, wor- music, words. Yes. Very quickly. Yes. yes. I, um, I have thousands of notes in my iPhone and, and recordings, thousands. And at this point, I would bet I have close to a thousand songs written, fully formed, um, Incredible. And they, they can, they can come just hard and fast and already formed. I've written while I was driving, um, with no intention at all, with no intention whatsoever of writing. It's not like I'm on a car trip and I'll think like, oh, you know what? I've got some time to kill. I'm going to write a song. It won't be like that at all. Instead, I'll be looking at the scenery and I'll be thinking about, you know, a wound that I have, a part of my heart that isn't healed, a sadness that is just aching in me or a person that I miss or a person that, you know, I feel like didn't understand me. And we got off on this really difficult place. And, um, I, I wrote, I wrote a song like that on a way, on the way to a gig, I was driving to a gig and there was someone in my life who was extremely important to me. Um, and we had a very powerful bond and, um, he was heavily involved in, in my music and it, it went South, but not, not for any reason that like, that made sense. It's so, it's so hard. I'm being so vague. It went south, like a lot of people's friendships, relationships, working relationships, business partnerships go. And it was such an ache for me and for a long time. And then this feeling came over me of like, and then I knew it had to be goodbye. That was the feeling that I had. And then I knew it had to be goodbye. And I picked up my iPhone, pulled over on the side of the road and I just sang it. I sang the whole chorus. I had this whole hook written. And then I knew for me and you, it had to be goodbye. Um, and yeah, I, I think that song is just a really good example of how these songs can just come in flashes when you're not planning them. And it came really quickly and I, I played the gig that day and I went home and then I, I wrote the rest of it and it just, it was very, very fast. And then I take a song like, um, I wrote the song called Looking for America after uh, Trump was elected. Um, 
And it went through thousands of iterations and verses. And I was trying to say exactly what I meant. And I didn't know what I meant because I didn't know when I sat down exactly what I wanted to say. Um, and I think, I think that's the other thing about songwriting is you sit down with a question and by the end of the three minutes, three and a half, five minutes, however long it is, you have arrived at an answer. And so it's sort of this like self-therapy. It's sort of you sit down not knowing where it's going to go, or, or for me anyway. Um, you know, hook writers, I think it's very different. I think they, they do know right away what sort of song they're going to craft. Um, but I'm not, I'm not really a hook writer, and I'm not really a commercial writer. Um, I think I sit down with a question. I think that's, that's the crux of how I write, is I sit down not knowing the destination, and then I let the song show me. Yeah, that's, I mean, wow. I mean, that's amazing. And I, so now I have to ask you the sort of the, the opposite question which is um, what have been some of your, if you've had any, what have been some of your biggest creative challenges, whether it comes to things like writer's block or uh, a song that you, you were in love with in some way that just didn't happen or just didn't happen the way you wanted to or, and, and how do you, how do you get through things like that when, when those come up? You mean in, in, in the process of crafting something? Well, yeah, like if, or for instance, if you're thinking to yourself, I need to write some new music, but nothing's coming to you. You're experiencing mm -hmm. writer's block or, um, you know, uh, the, the, the vision of the song that you have in your brain doesn't manifest itself in that way when it sort of leaves your brain and, and uh, trying to figure, and I even have to say like something that sounds as trivial as uh, finding words, words that rhyme. Mm, yeah. You know, th those because yeah. there are some sure, yeah, processes to writing that that sometimes aren't. And I, I do not that, you know. mean to make it all sound like unicorns and rainbows <laughs> and like this is, you know, some div all of my songs are divinely inspired. It is not. It is not always simple, but it is always a feeling of this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing right now even on the yeah. hard days. Um, I think, I think I'm a person that is actually um, not very good at much. I don't, I don't feel like I could do very many um, other things with my life than be an artist. I feel, um, I feel plagued in a lot of ways with like this destiny of just being an artist because I, um, I'm not, necessarily inclined to do a whole lot of other things. I was not athletic in school. I was terrible at math. Um, I have a complete disinterest in facts. I love questions. I love um, the gray, you know, color tones of just the ambiguous parts of life, the questions and, and the, the things that aren't so precise. I think that's where I live my life. Um, so I do not mean to, uh, give anyone the impression that I'm just like, I sit down and the song just comes to me and it's so easy all the time because of course I get writer's block. Of course there are times that, um, 
you know, periods that are just not fertile and that I'm not producing anything I'm proud of. And um, in those moments, I don't know, maybe this is like, maybe this is a privileged thing to say because a lot of, a lot of my friends are songwriters and they have to produce all the time. They just have to keep churning things out. Um, but I don't, I don't force it. I find when I, um, when the songs aren't coming, coming, I pick up a paintbrush or I turn to poetry or I work on prose. Um, and maybe that's a terrible answer. Um, but that has, that's what I've found really works the best for me is just turning, um, I, I don't know. I, it's not really like I'm using a different part of my brain or, or maybe I am, who knows? I'm not, I am not a neuroscientist, but it's like I'm using a different part of my spirit, I guess, is how I would describe it. I'm just sort of trying to refocus. Um, but to answer your question more directly, what do I do if I'm trying to find something that rhymes and um, I'm struggling with a song? I will come up with alternate verses. I'll say, okay, maybe this one isn't working. What if I tried another verse here? Or what if this was an instrumental part? Um, And this past year I bought an electric guitar and I started learning how to play um, (laughs) really like mediocre leads. I'm not going to pretend at all that I'm uh, Jimmy Page over here, but I've been loving it and extremely having just uh, like having a ball with music in a way that I think it's different with songwriting. I think songwriting is like, for me, it's like writing poetry. And I don't know if like anyone would call poetry like a blast. (laughs) I mean, there's times that it's really fulfilling and really beautiful and times that you make yourself cry and you, it's like, therapeutic and, um, very touching, but you know, when you're playing like riffs and rock and roll and you're, you know, moving your fingers fast and you're making noise, it's, uh, that's just a whole new gear. So I think, um, I guess my advice is like, never force it. Like, you know, I, I don't, I don't even know if you're asking my advice, but oh, the advice uh, no, I would give uh, to my younger self. In, in many respects, I think it was, it was kind of implied in my question okay. um, because, you know, you're, you're not just answering the question for my curiosity, but for uh-huh. people who are listening, who either are, uh, you know, uh, would be songwriters or are professional songwriters. And, um, and I, because I really think that, or just creative people in general, because I think if you ask the question, how do you create? Uh, and then you follow that up with the question, what happens when it when you can't create? You know, yeah. essentially, um, not everyone is going to give the same answer. You yeah. know, um, I know people who, who say similar to you who say, well, I just go watch baseball for a while, you know, or, you know, if I can't, if I can't, if I'm struggling with something, I step away. Um, as you mentioned, you know, um, and I also know people who can, who really can. And it sounds like you do too, because you know, people who are, you know, writing, um, in, in somewhat of a, well, I may, at least in my opinion, maybe somewhat of a high pressure environment where they have some deadlines to meet or whatever, um, who just can do it. They just, however they do it, they do it. 
Yes. Um, and I know people like that. I know people who say, oh, I needed to get three songs done uh, or I need to get three songs done for this album I'm working on. So I just, I, but I just need to write a chorus. So I'll just do that later. And it's like, that's, they just do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I've always found that interesting too. So, you know, I, I, I just think any response that a creative person gives to a question like that is informative. And, and I'm, I appreciate that you, that you expanded on it like that. Oh, well, I just, I actually just thought of two more things. Okay, go. That, um, that can be very helpful. Um, the first one, and this is a very, very affordable, old-fashioned option. Uh, go for a walk. Leave your phone at home. Go outside. Look at the leaves. Look at the flowers. Go somewhere where there aren't people. And just move your body and move it forward. Um, and do it for... If, if you can, if you're healthy enough to walk, I should say that. I don't want to be ableist because I know that there are a lot of tremendous artists and a lot of amazing songwriters who, who can't walk. Um, but if you are able to, to move your body, that's very helpful. Um, and just clearing out the pipes. Um, I would also say uh, putting your phone on airplane mode and not being on social media. And when you feel stuck, letting yourself be stuck, letting yourself get bored. Don't reach for your phone when you're waiting in a grocery store line. Don't, um, you know, be on Instagram scrolling or Facebook scrolling when you're in a waiting room. Eavesdrop, listen to conversations people are having, read a book. Um, you can pull so much inspiration from real life. And I think as we all know, social media is not real life. So it's very, it's very hard. Do we all to... know that though? <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other question, but um, yeah. And there's I... so many awesome things about social media, but uh, it being real, it's, it's just not, it's just not real. Yeah, I'm just going to take a minute to, to say to people who I, I, I doubt there's anyone listening who actually believes this. But if there is someone who does believe this, John F. Kennedy Jr. is not coming back from the dead to become <laughs> vice president. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. Is that Speaking something of, on social media? <laughs> yeah, there was a big rally in Dealey Plaza yesterday in Texas of um, QAnon. People and they thought JFK was coming. He was going to emerge, John F. Kennedy Jr. I don't know how he became um, this sort of messianic figure in, in QAnon land, but but yes, it, this has been a, this has been a belief for a while that he's going to come back from the dead. And every time he doesn't, they're just like, "Oh, okay, I guess we did our math wrong. It must be next week." <laughs> <laughs> um, I could do math for QAnon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I hated math too. By the way, I just wanted to say that. <laughs> Um, yes. <laughs> I mean, I sucked at it, you know, I, and that's Which actually, is funny because you're a drummer and you like have math in your heart and your vein. Yeah. I, on some level, it, it's, it's just, it's like the skeletal framework of what I do, you know, it's yes. the foundation of what I do even, but, um, you know, it's not something I think about yeah. at all, obviously, but Who needs um, math? yeah, no I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know. You know, I, this is what I love about about um, 
you know, the evolution of, of, of human beings is that, you know, 12,000, 15,000 years ago now, maybe when people got to a point where they didn't all have to hunt and gather. Yeah. Uh, when they, you know, settled in certain areas that had uh, domesticatable animals and, th- you know, sheep and cows and things like that. And they, yeah. they found crops like wheat and barley. And all of a sudden they're like, hey, we don't have to wander this world aimlessly for our entire lives until we die. Mm-hmm. We can stop. You, Joe, you go plant some wheat. You know, Susie, you go tend to the sheep and, and you start to see, you know, I guess what you could call in the most primitive sense, leisure time start to happen. You know, yeah. not everyone is frantically, desperately trying to just simply survive. And that's when you start to see potters, potters and, and, and uh, you know, uh, smelters and, 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 you know, blacksmiths and yeah. artists and, you know, all sorts of, of new types of creativity. And, I, you know, and it, it's always an amazing process to me to think about it that way, yeah. you know, um, having actually time to think. And um, you know, ponder the stars, and and um, and those things really came when when you know we developed fire, and we you know not developed, but we figured out how to start fires, and we were able to settle for for periods of time, and we weren't desperately simply trying to find some food. We had time to think, and I think that that's where creativity ultimately began to blossom. Yes, boredom is crucial. I feel like that is one of the one of the worst things to have gone extinct in human history is boredom. Yes. Yes. I think that, uh, I just, I, I thank God every day that I didn't grow up with, you know, what today's kids have to deal with and that I didn't have phones to be on or YouTube to watch videos on it. And just that, I mean, it's such a double-edged sword because you can you can find great people online. You can meet really cool individuals and make friends and and learn th- about things and cultures you didn't know anything about. But I think overall, it's it's a lot more detrimental than it is good in I some tend ways. To agree. And uh, I think boredom just just tons of time to to think to be alone with your thoughts um, isn't afforded to children growing up right now. And that makes me sad. No. And I I mean, I'm just, I'm not going to go on too long of a a history diatribe right now here, but, but I will say this one thing that when, when the industrial revolution, the second industrial revolution really kicked in in America um, and, and we had steam trains, we had locomotion, steam power, and eventually electricity, and all of these things were happening very quickly. The, the psychiatrists and, and people who studied human emotions and things at the time uh, began to use this expression, I think it was called neurasthenia, which was a diagnosable condition for people who seemed to, to exhibit extreme anxiety, extreme kind of frenzy, um, and and feeling harried all the time because they were suddenly plunged into an industrial world. You know, they went from organic time to industrial time. And I mean, like literally every the, the world said, no, it's not just whatever moment in the day the sun sets 
it's now this exact time and you have to be at the factory at this exact time or you lose your job. You know, like all of those things that were happening that when people thought, ooh, the modern age, technology, we'll have so much time on our hands because machines yes. will do things. And, you know, instead, the opposite happened and people felt more insane and frantic than ever before. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that that is one of the one of the great perils of of modern society no question about it that's a beautiful story and i i i love that you share that because it reminds me so much of what we're going through now you know everyone feels like they've got to uh, update their wardrobe and remodel their kitchen because of what they saw on instagram and now you can swipe up for somebody's paint or swipe yeah. up for someone's dress and you've got it and it's convenient but is it making us happier or is it making us sadder? I mean, truly, yeah. if we had never thought about looking inside of other people's homes and lives and closets every minute of every day, we would be happy with what we have. It's very, uh, it's very strange. It's like the wild west. The internet is like the new frontier. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you know what? I I couldn't even lay odds on it. I really don't know. I'm I'm I am I tend to be more pessimistic than optimistic. But when I look at my children, I feel huge waves of optimism, especially yeah. especially in terms of their 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 person their behavior, which is to say they are decent, wonderful human beings. And, and, and not only in terms of, you know, how they interact with each other, but how they interact with and think about other people. Um, and also in terms of the, the, their own sense of urgency about things that, that it seems modern society doesn't really seem to care about, like climate change. You know, like my kids are like, we need to do something about it. So those yeah. are the kinds of things that make me feel optimistic. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know. Boy, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> You know, I mean, what? I, it's, 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 <laughs> <laughs> you are just saying it for all of us right now. That's so. That's the feeling. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but you know what? F just to completely, because I'm at that point where I get flummoxed, mm -hmm. where I start gesturing wildly and and, <laughs> and sort of stammering and things like that, uh, which usually means like I'm about to rant and. Uh, and uh, I don't want to do that. But so I want to ask you a couple questions um, as we get toward the end here uh, um, about the sequence of music that you've made. I, I can't either. I can't remember or we didn't have this specific conversation when we spoke. Uh -huh. How many records do you have that have been released and are available for listeners right now? I have two records out. I have okay. an album called Love and Fury. Uh, yes. That was my first record, came out in 2014. Um, I made it on a shoestring budget with a friend of mine, and I'm so proud of it. We we had so much fun making it, and that, that thing changed my life. It opened a lot of doors for me and took me a lot of places and introduced me to a lot of great friends. Um, so even though I've evolved, I think, from that sound, um, it just still holds such a huge place in my heart. And I find sometimes even when people are newly discovering my work that it's still the album, you know, pe some people um, just 
I don't know, feel called to. It's really interesting how that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my second album is much more recent. It came out in 2019, fall of 2019, um, right before COVID. Uh, it's called Shades of Blue. And that one I would say is a much better representation of who I am now. It was also made on a shoestring budget with a friend. And I think it's a very, uh, I almost feel like this music was like like meant for right now, for like these times, for very difficult, heavy, strange years, um, because it's a very Buddhist record. It's a very Zen record. And it's an album full of forgiveness and talking about empathy and kindness and politics um, and this idea of trying to find, you know, your place in a changing world. Um, but it does I sound timely. <laughs> yes. I personally love shades of blue right now but every every artist loves their most recent work more than their previous um uh listen to both if you have time yes they're just you know i think shades of shades of blue is 30 minutes so it was a couple years of my life 30 minutes of your time um it's got sitar on it and lead guitar solos and five minute songs and rock and roll um, which everyone told me not to do and I did it anyway. And I'm just, I love it. I'm, At, I'm proud of, of the stuff that made it on there when I was told I couldn't do that. So give it a listen. Yeah. That, I mean, you know, what you just said, that, that, that to me is like the essence of what did you do with the dash? <laughs> Put if, up uh, my middle finger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and, and I think that's great. And, and you know, we talk, we definitely talked in specifics, some, some specifics last time about the idea of creativity, not just creativity, but um, societal pressure and things like that. And I don't remember if it was I or you who was talking about like, um, I, it was almost like a, it was like a, to me, it felt like a, a rallying cry to the world you know, to encourage people to to break out of the mold and try new things and do different things. And yeah. I'm going to say the words. You, you, if you, you don't want, it. if you don't want to say the words, you don't have to. But because, and I, I've shared about this on other podcasts, the idea that we get put in this box, uh, not just creatively, but by society. Just like yes. you were saying, like you're like, oh, Susie has this new thing on Instagram, and I need to do that. And you know, that's an expression that's as old as the 1920s probably older in the twenties, the famous expression was keeping up with the Joneses. You have to keep up with the Joneses. Oh, they just got a new Zenith um, television. And so we need to get one. Right. (laughs) And so we came to, and so living inside this box is where a lot of us find ourselves. And we, you and I came to the conclusion that we need to say, fuck the box. box. 100%. So that's really like the ultimate, like, to the world. Oh, and by the way, I, don't, I, I, I really haven't told anybody and we haven't talked, so I haven't told you, but I have listeners in like 20 different countries now. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I just saw like some other new ones are, are uh, added to the list. Um, India, um, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, uh, some countries in Africa, Central Mexico, the Isle of Man. 
Wow. I saw that on there and I was like, what is that even? I know there was a big yeah. concert there. But anyway, if you're in the Isle of Man and you're listening to the show, fuck the box. If you're in, <laughs> fuck the boxes. And I really do think I might put that on a T-shirt at some point because I don't have any any a little bit famous merchandise right now. I love that merch. I know. I want Anything five like of that. them. Yeah. And coffee mugs and things like that. Fuck the box. Um, yeah. It's it's beautiful. It's concise. It, it says everything you need to say. Um, so okay, so I have a, one one question for sure to ask you, which listeners to this episode will already know the answer. If if your oh. answer, if you're because by this time, listening to this episode, they will know the answer to this question, either mm. way. And the question is, with your permission, I would like to begin this episode and end this episode with some music from Shades of Blue. I would be honored. Great. So, so when so when people when this episode starts, they're going to hear music from Shades of Blue. I'm thinking going with that girl is Rainbow as sure. a sort of strong opener um, because it's a beautiful song. And I really haven't even said to you enough today and emphasized enough to the listeners how amazing you are as a singer. I love the way you sing. And as a lyricist, I mean, I think we've pretty much established your history and your depth of knowledge that sort of sculpted you in a lot of ways as an extremely well-spoken, uh, not just conversationally, but as a lyricist, as constructing really powerful and moving lyrics. And I love that. So I, I'm grateful to you, and I want to say thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, that is honestly the ultimate compliment that touches me. Thank you. You're very welcome. And I really honestly hope um, that fans of yours, which I know you have fans, I know a lot of people love these rec two records that you've made. I hope they will come over to A Little Bit Famous with Ted Murata and listen to this episode, get to hear more about you and what's going on. And I hope that everyone who listens to this show will go to Spotify or where else do you, would you like to direct them to, to hear both of these records and then to anxiously anticipate the release of this new album that you've written but haven't recorded yet? Um, I guess my website's a good place if you're looking you know, to buy a physical copy. I'm selling signed CDs from my website, ashleysophia.com. Uh, if you want to keep in touch with me and just see, you know, what I'm ranting and raving about on a daily basis or look at pictures of my sourdough or <laughs> just see what I'm up to. I'm on Instagram. It's just Ashley Sophia music. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Um, I love talking about what books I'm reading. I love posting pictures of flowers. Um, and I love hearing from you. So Please, if you enjoy my music or just discover something and want to chat or have an idea for me, um, send me a message. I love meeting you. Fantastic. And please do, everyone. Um, I mean, honestly, your, your, your day will be better. Your life will be enriched by hearing this, uh, this wonderful music by Ashley Sophia. She's really awesome. I'm, I'm very honored to have you on the show. I'm, and I'm honored glad, to be here. Oh, thank you. And I'm really glad that we had to, that we were able to, to reconnect and do, and do another proper episode. Yes. So I can't is, wait for the next one. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, it, it has to be when your next, when the next album comes out. It's a date. 
Okay, fabulous. And the last thing I want to say, which is just me being a very proud uncle, I don't know if you can see, people listening can't see it, but I have an MLB um, draft hat on right now. I love um, it. Okay, and I, I, this is the reason why I have it on. People, you are not going to believe this. I'm telling you, you will be shocked and amazed when I tell you. But I got this hat when my nephew, Ian Anderson, was drafted to the Atlanta Braves. This was oh, just a few awesome. years ago. And uh, he, 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 you know, they, they pulled him up to the, to the majors. You know, he was doing the initial sort of thing where they're kind of having you in the minor leagues and, you know, kind of sculpt, cultivating you for the big show. And they pulled him up. And his first game was starting pitcher for the Atlanta Braves against the New York Yankees. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and, and now we're at a point where the, the freaking world, the World Series just happened. The Atlanta Braves won the World Series. My nephew, Ian Anderson, starting pitcher for the Atlanta Braves, had an absolutely incredible series pitching for the Braves. And they won the goddamn World Series. They're world champions right now. Oh, so that is why I'm wearing this MLB draft hat. I'm so that proud is of amazing. him. Yeah, I know. I I'm not even like the biggest sports person. I'm I have goosebumps. I'm, I'm not so either. But proud of him. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's hard to watch the games. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, and this is the, it's it just used so to be, nervous. Oh God, yeah. I mean, it used to be. I knew friends who were like huge. Most most of my friends are like typical sports fans, and I'm sure. not. And I used to watch them kind of with some amusement when they would be watching a game of their favorite team, and they would, you know, something bad would happen, and they'd go nuts. They'd be like, and they oh, take it personally. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Can't, I can't stand. And then, you know, the first time I saw my nephew pitching in a game, Major League Baseball game, I was the same way. I was like, I so can't now look. You get it. I can't. Yeah. You're yeah. a sports guy now. I, yeah, I totally get the emotion now I, 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 <gasps> because I felt it. It's, it's amazing. So congratulations, Ian. I'm super proud of you. The whole family is super proud of you. It's an absolutely wonderful accomplishment. I, I, I couldn't say one more about it. and he's and, and Ian, you're a wonderful guy and, and you you were a wonderful kid growing up and it was fun to watch you pitch with your with your brother, Ben, um, who also Ben is also um, he was signed by the Texas Rangers. So, oh uh, yeah, two, two, two twin brothers closest can be awesome kids and um, <laughs> incredibly uh, talented athletes as well. That is such a beautiful note to conclude with because I feel like it's, it's just like punctuating this entire episode with like, live that dash. Exactly. Go oh. in the world series. <laughs> yes. Live that damn dash people do it. Oh my gosh. Congrats, Ian. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. All right. We're as high as we can possibly get right now. For sure. So let's just do it. I'll see you soon. Thank you again. I'll see you soon. Okay. Bye, Ted. Take care. I've got salt on this guitar. I've got wounds and I've got scars. I ain't saying that my life was hard, but I can't believe I made it this far. I've got songs that I can't sing. I've got stories you wouldn't believe. There are things my eyes have seen If you know what I mean So you should go easy on me And I'll do my best to go easy on you 
Cause the one thing I have learned from this 